This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's another episode of the No Ceilings podcast. We got a special one this week. Our normal host, Mr. Tyler Metcalf, is out of town, so I'm taking over. We're gonna we're gonna have some real fun, and you know, I figured, what better person to have on than Draft Deeper's own Nathan Grubel? Nathan, how are we doing today? Are you excited to get after it? The All Star team, the, the dynamic duo, is here for No Ceilings. You're going to figure out very quickly, I'm going to do a great job filling in for Mr. Metcalf on this episode. And you know exactly where I'm going with that. So the, the, yes, no other I do. needed. I mean, well, we have too much fun on the Draft Deeper every Monday. Um, I know you're releasing that on Wednesdays, but we've had too much fun doing that. So I figured what better way to do this. But we're going to get a little crazy here. So by the time everyone's listening to this, um, you know, me and Nathan recorded a piece on our a podcast Monday talking about Nathan's most recent morning dunk on NoSealingsNBA.com. But Nathan kind of threw it right back at me. You know, Nathan wrote an article about his guys. And for his podcast, he wanted to know who my guys were. So this is going to be part two. This is We're, we're getting a little, you know, crossover here, Nathan. This is going to be part two of the draft deeper, but we're doing it with no ceiling. So in this one, if you haven't read the article... Nathan's going to give me four guys from his piece. How many did you list in that article? You went, you went to work as always. I mean, you go crazy with those. So how many I, total? I, I put seven guys in that column. Okay, so I, so... I'm, I'm picking out four. You're not going to know which four specifically I'm picking, although I already hinted at one, which is where <laughs> we'll probably start. But four, four guys. Okay, so you're going to pick four guys. Um, and like I said, if when you guys are listening to this, make sure you also listen to Nathan's at Draft Deeper. We had a lot of fun on that one. This one's going to be great as well. Um, you know, future announcements by, while you guys are listening to this, we're going to probably have some exciting news on those ceilings tomorrow. So make sure you check that out. And myself, I will be gone this week. I'm heading to the Pac-12 tournament with our own Albert Gim to uh, get some scouting, get on the grounds, have some fun. So Metcalf will be on his own Thursday. I'll be excited to see who he has on. But Nathan. Without further ado, like let's get after it. Let's have some fun. You know, let's create some chaos. Hit me with your first. Who's who's Nathan's first guy that you want to let's, talk about? Let's just get him out of the way. Okay. Let's get let, let's get Johnny Davis out of the way. Let's do it. And what better way to do a podcast without Metcalf? To That's talk what I'm about saying. His boy, dude. Somebody's got to fill in for him. Like somebody has to to bring that Wisconsin energy. So I'm 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 here to bring it. But I wanted to write about. Mr. Davis specifically, I actually had the chance to see him in person not too long ago, about a few weeks ago. And I wanted to go see him in person because I wanted to see how his game would translate in a few different areas. 
What do the passing look like? What do the defense look like up close? What did the burst look like? How, how did his shot creation look from the standpoint of what could he actually get off the bounce and create that wasn't completely contested hand in his face and he just has to specifically make tough looks like that all of the time? He, he, he checked all the boxes for me, Tyler. He checked all the boxes. We, we know how good of a defender he, he is on the perimeter. I think Metcalf has done an excellent job about talking about that. He's also outlined on multiple episodes and, and in writing for No Ceilings how Davis is an underrated passer. He's maybe not the most I'm, – I'm losing the word. He, he's, he's not the most obvious passer that, that we could – talk about like with other point guards right like he's not he's not like a point guard he's a he's a combo guard probably more locked into the two um but in the same way that i think devin booker has evolved throughout his nba career becoming a better passer becoming a better floor general in that sense i think davis has a lot of that same upside because he does see the floor really well he recognizes when he does need to get rid of the ball off a live dribble and he can make the passes maybe they're not spectacular maybe he's not throwing it around his back but he can hit the guy on the baseline. He can make the read to the opposite corner. He can hit the roll man out of a pick and roll set. Like he can do all of the things you want from him to do from a passing perspective. And then the scoring, he created shots on that Rutgers team mm-hmm. a lot easier than I expected. And he would actually give himself pretty decent space on some of his turnarounds. You know how effective he is scoring out of the post on one of those fadeaways. You obviously know him curling off screens, coming off the catch, rise and fire, easy spot-up shots. We know he's good for those. The game just looked like it came to him a lot easier than I was expecting. And when people talk about Davis, they point out how he's not this hes not this top-shelf athlete with this elite level of burst. he He's not shifty. He's not slithery. And to an extent, I would agree with a lot of those things. But he's a power guard, and at the same time, he's also a finesse guard. He knows what types of moves to go to when, and he knows how to pick apart defenders and ultimately have his way with scoring the basketball, and he can do it in a variety of different ways. I would say the biggest thing to me that still stands out is he's only shooting 33% from three-point range on the year, and even when you watch him warm up, when he takes about another step or two behind the three-point line, he can definitely leave some shots short. And I think that's something he will still need to work on mechanically as he gets into the NBA because that line's only going to keep backing up. That's really the only major question mark left for me at this point, Tyler. I, I believe in the finishing around the basket. I believe in all of the mid-range creation. I believe in his passing, the defense. I still think he has legitimate, legitimate star upside. I know you've used the name Brandon Roy when talking about him. I, I love that Corey got it out in the airways before even I could when he used like there's some real shades of Devin Booker here to yeah. this guy's game. And it just makes you wonder how much better can he get once he gets into the NBA, once he has the spacing that he needs to work with, when he's not able to be game planned by NBA defenses night in and night out, because he's probably going to be playing with at least one or two other guys who are going to pull some of that attention away from him. Like what's going to happen when he gets in those situations and similar to some of the guys we talked about on my show, when coaches actually scheme up some of the right plays for him, to get him into spots where we know he's a lot more comfortable versus having having to make everything happen completely by himself, which to his credit, he he has struggled in those areas. That's his lowest percentile per play type on synergy is isolation. So we know where he struggles, but he can do so many other things on or off the ball. 
I'm buying in. I'm buying in. I'm, I'm having him as a top five guy. That That's probably where I'm going to settle on him. It's been a real war between him and A.J. Griffin for quite a while now in my head, and, and I can certainly point to some things with A.J. Griffin and point to some of his shot creation and some of the, the fadeaway shots that he can hit. He's really reminiscent of Jimmy Butler at times, and we know that he's had a historic three-point shooting season. But there's just, some, there's just something about Johnny, and I've said it to you multiple times. There's just something about him that brings me back to him. So that's he, he he's going to be one of my guys I'm going to go to war for him. What do you think? Yeah, I'm right there with you about Johnny. Um, you know, shout out to Metcalf. He was drinking the Kool-Aid very early on in the year and kept pushing him at us. And I feel like our first big board, if I'm not incorrect, I think he was like 29th. And, and that's how impressive his season has been. I think pretty much all of us at, at No Ceilings probably have him around our top five, top six. And yep. the, the more you watch him, the more he just is absolutely sensational just with what he can do inside the perimeter um, because he can, he can really navigate his, his shiftiness, like getting diagonal when it comes to like getting to spots in the paint to create that mid range fadeaway. Um, even the post-up game, just some of the shots he hits, he's a really damn tough shot maker. I mean, yeah. he can, he invites like aggressive defenders to smother him because he's like, I'm still going to get this bucket. The Devin Booker vibes, definitely, I absolutely agree with. Um, you know, like I've said Brandon Roy before, and people kind of think that's a little bit crazy. Now, Brandon Roy was incredibly shifty at Washington yeah. when he was playing there. So I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's definitely some vibes when you watch how Johnny plays the game with some really good change of gears and it's funny because in the beginning of the year I remember talking to Metcalf about this Metcalf was like a little worried about his explosiveness and I was like really because I think the shiftiness is something that really like counters that because he can that quick burst he has inside of his hesitations really stands out to me especially in the mid-range like he can lull you to sleep and then strike like a cobra um so so I get everyone being in love with them. I, I still think he's going to be a top five pick because the, the offensive versatility is really special. Like you're saying, Nathan, I think the playmaking is definitely a little bit underrated. Um, and, and there's some defensive upside there too. Like he, he, he will compete. He's a grinder. Um, and by the way, he, let's just mention about the, the winning aspect. As yes. Well. And we li- quite literally saw that the other day when he went down with that scary, injury or what looked to be scary at least initially when we saw it live and then he was ultimately out for the rest of the game that Wisconsin team fell apart and they lost to a Nebraska team that we've talked about multiple times this year is not a good basketball team mm-hmm. and they were playing without Bryce McGowan's that day right. who has been their best player and who was um, I believe co-freshman of the year in, in, in the Big Ten so that 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 loss really stings that was a game that Wisconsin absolutely should have won it just goes to show you without him on the court, it's just not the same vibe. It's just not the same environment. The, the, those guys have had Johnny Davis on the court all year to look at and say, we have this guy. We have a legitimate chance to win every single game that we go into because we have this guy. And when he's not there, big difference. Big difference right. in the vibe. So, yeah, And, you know, Johnny's been on a tear this year. Um, I, I know he's a, he's still been impressive lately, but, you know, beginning of the year, kind of throughout the season, he was just 
going insane. Um, he had a 13 game stretch where he was averaging almost 22 and nine rebounds a game while, you know, also pitching in 2.4 assists, 1.0 steals and around 43% from the field and 33% from three. So, you know, unlike you, you, you definitely need to see the three point percentage eventually kind of climb, but I think he, he does so much damage around the the entire perimeter. Um, I think that's going to come with repetition and, continuing to work on his craft and stuff, but um, I'll, I'll throw I, one. I think, I think if yeah. he relied on the three point shot a lot more and this was the results that we got, I think it would be more of an issue than it is, but the fact I that agree. he doesn't, the fact that he doesn't rely on that to set up the rest of his game. I think that that gives him the perfect opportunity to build it a little slower than maybe we would initially anticipate once he got into the NBA. I think the results would be, uh, there would be a lot more expectations on him to deliver results quicker once he got in the league if that was a bigger reliance to his, in his game. I, and he's just a closer. I, I think when the game is on the line and, and things are getting tight, I think Johnny wants the ball. Johnny wants to guard the best player. Um, if you go back and watch that game against Purdue, like he has some really impressive possessions like going defensively against Jaden Ivey. I mean, he just looks like he wants to – bring on the competition. And I think that's why NBA teams are going to be so intrigued. So what what are you thinking about Nathan when it, when it comes to, because me and Mech have talked about this on last week's episode, Jay Nivey and, and Johnny, let's just bring that up because that's a little spicy. Do you think there's a world in which, you know, you could have, because I don't know where you have Jaden on your board right now, but he's, he's right. He's right above Johnny. Uh, and that's is there of, a, what do you, what's holding you back from having Johnny above him? Because I think that's me and Mick have had this debate and cause I have Jaden at the same spot you do, but I'm trying to say like, what, what is preventing him from in your eyes being someone that's above Jaden Ivy? So there's two things. It's right. number one, the, the top end speed that Ivy yeah. has that we know is elite. Um, his overall athletic package, I don't know if I'd call him elite, but the speed in particular, his end-to-end speed, is absolutely elite. So that's an athletic separator that he's going to have in the NBA that Johnny Davis is not going to have. Johnny Davis right. doesn't have anything to him from an athletic standpoint that we can point to as elite. Maybe not even possibly very good. I, I, I guess his strength we would consider very good. He's a very – he's a bulky – guy he he can bounce off contact and still finish so i guess from a strength perspective he's very good everything else he's probably coming in at, at good to average right so that's that's something that jay and can hang his hat on the other thing and i can't believe i'm saying this because i i pointed this out as a criticism for ivy throughout multiple points in the year but that shot's really coming along for mr ivy like now he's starting to hit step backs from three-point range He's starting to become a little more comfortable on the pull-up shot. And we know that as an open spot-up shooter, when he has time to gather, because his mechanics are a little slow in terms of how he goes about his follow-through, and from where he brings the ball up all the way through the follow-through, the whole thing's kind of slow, and he needs that extra second or two to really gather himself and get through his shot. But now he's starting to figure out how to better adjust his release point to get to some of those pull-up shots a lot easier. And when you have those kind of shots on tape, along with everything else that he brings to the table, in terms of pull-up three-point shot making, I think I might have just a smidge more confidence in Jaden Ivey at this current moment in time 
because I have much more recent examples of it on film. So right now, those would be the two main separators for me. And then Jay Nivey's also been, I mean, just like Johnny Davis has been really good in the pick and roll this year, Jay Nivey's been arguably better in the pick and roll, both from a scoring and passing perspective, when he's able to use that screen to get downhill. So, listen, Jay Nivey is not John Morant. And, and I know that you agree with that statement. He is, he is not, he's not the best prospect in this draft. But when we look at guards and when we look at what generally translates, I think Jay and Ivy checks a few more boxes a little better for me than Johnny Davis does. But it's not out of the realm of possibility where, where Metcalf ends up being right and Johnny right. Davis gets drafted higher than Jay and Ivy because I think Wisconsin, for what it's worth, as long as he's in the lineup, could actually make a deeper NCAA tournament run than Purdue. And that's going to factor into everyone's minds in terms of the decision makers, all the executives scouts are going to go back to the war room table and they're going to be pounding it for Johnny Davis. Like there is a world where that happens. So it's very much up in the air. I'm slightly more ahead right now though on Johnny on, on Jaden Ivy. Yeah, I completely agree. I think me and Metcalf even said the same thing. I think, that debate between those two is going to be one of the more fascinating things with March Madness. And I think whoever's still playing um, at the end could have the most to gain. You know, like you're saying, if Johnny's still playing and Purdue gets knocked out, Johnny's going to have that last chance to make an impression on NBA personnel and scouts. So it's going to be a good one. Um, okay, Nathan, I, I need the second. Who's your second guy? Who's Nathan Grubel, draft deeper, second guy? Bryce McGowan's. Yeah, you, I knew you, it. You, you, you're you knew too this easy to read. Too. You knew this one was coming. I, too. I saw it from a mile away. How many? Well, how many times are you talking about McGowan's on this podcast? Exactly. Uh, That's why we we got you on here. I mean, there's there's madness, but there's also strategy with every decision I make. So and, and I knew you were going to give me some Bryce. Everyone who read my column, they know they're like, "Oh my god, this guy's writing words about McGowan's for the second week in a row." Like, does this guy just have like this amazing man crush on him? Well, you know what? I do have a man crush on, on Bryce McGowan's. Okay, no, nah, no. Nah. But in, in all seriousness, he's really come on of late. I've seen a bunch of people tweeting about him, talking about him. His last five games: twenty-five points, fifteen points, thirteen points, twenty-five points, and then the big one: twenty-six points in his last regular season game against a really good Ohio State team. So that definitely can't be slept on. Co-freshman of the year in the Big Ten, averaging 17 points per game, 5.3 rebounds, 1.4 assists. I know some of the percentages are going to scare people away. He's only 41% from the field when you round it up, 28% from three, but he's maintained a great free throw percentage all year long, 83.8%. And for what it's worth, despite some of the shooting struggles in terms of percentage, he still rates out in the 71st percentile offensively. Um, There's not much on the court from that perspective that I believe he can't do. Does he have plenty of things to polish on both ends of the floor? Absolutely. He needs to get rid of the tunnel vision. He needs to keep his head up on offense, and he needs to recognize when to pass the ball out versus crash into the defense at times, which – to his credit, he does do a good job at either maneuvering around defenders or drawing contact in the majority of those situations. But there are some times where you can tell the defense is positioning themselves for a charge. McGowan's isn't able to, to get the ball away, pass it away to somebody else. But he just doesn't recognize that play's there. His awareness is lacking a little bit from that perspective. And then also on the defensive end, 
I've written multiple times for no ceilings about how the defense just is not, it's not great right now. And, and part of that is because of the system that he played in that Nebraska team as a whole was absolutely awful on defense. So I think with the right coaching, a lot of that can be shored up because he is six, seven with length. I think he can ultimately guard multiple positions one-on-one, but in terms of off ball help awareness, it's going to be a while before he really comes around and it impacts the game on the defensive end in terms of system level defense. But despite those flaws, I just come back to it, Tyler, from a scoring standpoint, are we really going to look back and say that there are 14 players in this class who have more talent on that end than McGowan's? I don't think so. I think the shooting mechanics are fine. I think the the three-point shot's going to come around, especially as he gets more open looks at the NBA level. He's perfectly comfortable pulling up, rising and firing in the mid-range. The way he gets to the basket, as I said, he has really good footwork for a freshman. He has those those, those Euro set moves, those, those counter moves. The handle can get a little sloppy, but I think it's going to be good enough in time for him to maintain control of it on some of those drives, especially when you factor in the long strides and the footwork like I was talking about. I think he – we use the term three-level scorer, I think, a little too much. McGowan's can actually have the future of being a three-level scorer in the NBA. And I've mentioned this name to you before, not what this guy is right now, not what he's doing right now in Chicago, but a young, young DeMar DeRozan. I can, I can see similarities in their games. And for what DeMar has become really good at, which he's become, he's become a much better passer than I think anybody could have possibly anticipated and he's not an all-world defender, but he certainly holds his own much better on that end of the floor than he did prior as he's continued to add to his body and, and fill out, which I believe McGowan's will do in the same way. There's just similarities to how they approach attacking the basket and getting to their offense in the mid-range. And that type of score, we're talking about him possibly going in like the second round. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm putting this guy back where he belongs in, in the top 20, and I think he's earned it to this point. Is there, will teams still have to be really patient with him despite even taking him that high? Should they do that? Yes, they're going to have to have a developmental plan in place for him. But at the same time, you could look back two to three years down the road and you're talking about value that could be recouped. I mean, we're talking about a guy who could be a third option on a pretty good NBA team and be as good maybe as like a second option on an NBA team, kind of be like that DeMar DeRozan light. That's that's the kind of upside I think this kid has. He's so naturally talented, even though there's there's some skills that need to be ironed out. I think there's an argument to be made that McGowan's has probably climbed quietly the most in the second half of the season. I think he really has cemented himself now as a potential first-round pick. Like I think that's happening. I'm right there with you. He's been absolutely sensational um, the last month and change of games. I mean, it's just been a completely different player. I'm like you. I I think the three-point percentage you kind of have to take with a grain of salt because he's a much better shooter than that number is going to provide. You know, his last 12 games, because throughout the year he had some flashes where he would explode for, you know, 25, 29, and then all of a sudden he'd have a stinker with like eight points and struggle from the field, but – Lately, he's just been consistent, and um, over his last 12 games, he's averaging 19.8 points per game, 
um, 42% from the field, uh, 30% from three, which I'm saying like he's a better shooter than that. 85% from the free throw line. And, and me and you have talked about this before, Nathan. I, I've been really impressed with McGowan's. You know, he, he's six seven. He's thin framed. He's got to put on some weight, but he has a desire to get to the free throw line. He hunts it out, and it's so impressive because he's just fearless with saying, nope, I, I can get through traffic. I can slither my way to the rim, and he gets fouled a lot. Yeah, I mean, he will live at the free throw line, and that's just showing that you want it. That, that's not, you know, if you're thin framed and you keep getting beat up, you, you might be annoyed and be like, oh, screw this. I'm not going to keep just taking my hits, but he just wants to get to the free throw line. And that's where I understand what you're saying with the vibes of DeRozan. I really do think that there's some similarities there because. Can, can I give you a stat that I just did in my head? Of course you can. Out of, out of 30 games, how many games do you think he had with more than, with four or more free throw attempts in that game? Oh, you you see if you listen to part one, I kind of threw something like this at Nathan, so he's throwing it back. This is why I love you. Um, I don't know, Nathan. I don't even have a guess. Just hit 20, me with 23 it. out of 30 games. Woo! 23 out of 30 games, he got to the line four more times. How many other freshmen are doing that in college? I mean, I'm trying to even throw something at you. I, I, I would love to have those stats in front of me, but. So I'm looking at his numbers right now, and I'm trying to compare them even to the last guy. Um, oh, Mr. Yeah, Johnny this, Davis. This is this is impressive. So Bryce McGowan fans out there, this is impressive. Um, I consider Johnny Davis to be a guy that lives at the free throw line as well. Johnny's up to 6.2 attempts per game. Mr. McGowan's is at 6.4. And Johnny go. has a much thicker frame. So I'm just... And, and to prove it, the point needs to be made. Why are we in love with, with, with both of these guys? It's because of that point. Getting to the line and being efficient from the free throw line right. is one of the most surefire ways that any NBA player can immediately start raising their scoring average. And in some instances, it's what makes the great players get up to that elite level. Your boy, Mr. Jason Tatum. Yes. When is he the most lethal? It's not when he's chucking up 10 step back three pointers in a row. When he's attacking the damn basket. That's right. Getting to the free throw line. That's what makes, that's what makes the difference. I know you've heard Bill Simmons shout it to the Raptors, but it's true. Like those, those wing scorers, when they start getting downhill and they get comfortable with taking contact, getting to the line or looking for those and ones versus solely relying on those step back type of shots or, the spot up shooting, that's when they become so much more lethal of scores. This kid, this kid, as well as Johnny, they both already have that in their bag. That's why I'm betting on them to be much better scorers at the NBA level. And I think some people are giving them credit for because of some of the athletic pauses or some of the skill problems. Is there a range for you come draft day right now? Like I'm putting you on the spot. Metcalf does no, this to me all the no, time. No, don't, don't, don't get, don't no. give me. Oh, a no, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Metcalf does it to me. So I got to, I got to torture somebody else. Is there a range that you think it's a little rich and where would you think it's kind of like the perfect, perfect range when you're talking about like where he ends up on draft day? So like Metcalf throws this at me and I try to get to a spot where I'm like, if he came off the board there, that'd be like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little unsettled. I hope that works out. But 
you know, you, you hinted earlier about maybe him being around that lottery or like right outside of it. Is that where you're kind of at with McGowan's? Do you think he could eventually just be this almost steal where he falls to the late teens and early twenties and a playoff team gets a really nice piece to, to work with moving forward or, or where are you at with him, Nathan? That's, that's, I think probably the best place for him. Mm-hmm. I think, I think taking him in the lottery would be just a smidge too rich for me. And I'm like one of the biggest Bryce McGowan's fans for him among scouts that you're probably going to find. Yes. I have enough guys in the lottery to where I'm comfortable taking them because I have a much safer projection as to what they're going to be, not just three to four years from now, but immediately next year in their sophomore right. year, I can make much safer projections. But we're talking upside outside the lottery. I mean, you can you can talk me into taking the gallons anytime 15 and on, baby. Like yeah. you, you throw them at me at 15, I'll be like, Let's go. Like, let's get him in for a workout. See what he can do. Like, why, why can't he be one of the best players that is taken outside of the lottery? Like, why can't he be that guy who maybe he even outperforms that status? Maybe in a redraft one day, you're talking about him going to the top 10 because of how dynamic he can be offensively. It's just, there's, there's obviously because of some of the awareness concerns, because of some of the IQ concerns that we see play themselves out on the court right now. You have to leave the door open to there is a chance, despite all the talent, that he doesn't quite make it as far as we think in the league. Um, at the end of the day, you know it better than I do. The NBA game, is, is it's mental warfare. You, you not only have to be mentally tough, but you also have to have a certain level of understanding to play the game at a high level to actually maintain starter status in the NBA. Is Bryce McGowan's there yet? No. Is he going to get there? I think he's going to get there. But the fact that I can answer that question with that little pitch in my voice, that upwards pitch in my voice, that means you got to leave the door open a little bit for, for I don't want to say failure from that pick, but disappointment from that pick if you were to take him too high. Yeah, I think it, I think if he ended up in the lottery, that'd be rich for me too. Um, I think Bryce McGowan's going to a potential playoff team or someone that can stress patience with letting the rest of his game come along, like you're saying, that could really be, um, you know, cashing in a a golden ticket down the road. I mean, because we always know NBA teams are going to seek out offensive wings, and McGowan's has that potential to really be a multi-level scorer and and really do it at a dangerous clip if he can continue to develop, continue to take strides forward, um, and his progression. So I'm right there with you. Um, I, I'm rooting for him to go around that range, around that late teens to early 20s, where maybe even it's a playoff team that's trying to go up to secure him because they're like, okay, we don't need to rush him year one, but there's plenty of really fun tools that we want to work with. And maybe this is a guy that goes and plays a little bit in the G League just to get some run and get his feel down and, and adjust to the speed. But I, I really think... He's going to be an underrated guy on my list that I want to watch and track throughout the pre-draft workouts. I could yep. already see some team buzzing about him because yep. he shoots the shit out of the ball. And better, better athlete, by the way, that we give him credit for. Like 100%. That dude, when I went to see him in person, that dude was soaring in the layup line. Like that, he he was he was gliding for some of those dunks that he was doing in the layup line. Like there, there is more to him than I think he's shown in games. 
And as you just talked about, once he gets to show some of the athleticism and, and pop and pre-draft workouts, yeah, his, his name is going to start popping. And I'm glad you said that word specifically, because when I watch him on tape, he glides through the lane. I mean, it yep. is effortless. It's like watching a, a, a damn ballerina. Just Those like, long strides, oh, man. We love it. Six, seven, and, and just getting downhill with smoothness. I, I really do think some front office is going to be drooling. So, all right. Y- you've successfully this entire draft season talked me into Bryce McGowan's. It, it, it's happening. So, so hit fail. me with your third. Who's your third guy? We're having fun here. We haven't gotten too off the rails yet. Uh, we're. I, I don't need to talk you into this guy. Maybe some people are going to consider this off the rails. I don't know. You knew this guy was coming too. I, I hey, feel you know who it is. It's who a is cold it? spine up my back. You're going to give me Walker Kessler, aren't you? No, I'm not. Oh, no, okay. Not. I could sleep that night now. We we, 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 we kind of talked about Walker Kessler in part one with the Yes, with yes that is true. Part one, spoiler alert, we talked about Walker Kessler and his, his evil rival, which is not really a rival. But it's I, your I, boy. I, it's our boy. It's Christian who's Brown. Who's our boy? We've got like 15 boys. It's Christian Brown. Yeah. Come on. You knew Christian yes. Brown coming. Well, this hour-long podcast just turned into a three-hour episode. So we haven't, up, we folks. haven't, we haven't really talked about him. That no, much, we so haven't. Perfectly honest. It, we, I don't even know where to start. You, you lead it off. I'm, I'm, I can't stop smiling right now. Okay, keep this under an hour. <laughs> so Christian, so Christian Brown gets. I don't know about. I don't know if I want to call it hate, but he he doesn't leave the best taste in evaluators' mouths because. As we've talked about multiple times, he's not a sexy prospect. Exactly, he's not. He's not the type of jump out of the gym athlete. Although I, I, I think he's 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 sneakier in that department that you yes. and I would probably agree on that people give him credit for. But he's not this immediate tough shot maker. He doesn't have the type of, of handle or dribble moves to to rely on that in the half court. Um, his shooting from three point range at times can definitely leave something to be desired. But you look at all of the things he can do, right? He still rates out on the 84th percentile in terms of total offense, 83rd percentile on handoffs, 80th percentile on transition, 78th out of scoring out of pick and roll sets, as well as on cuts, 65th percentile on putbacks, which is something that he loves to do. He loves to rebound the ball on the offensive end and finish through contact. That dude's tough as nails, 54th percentile on spot-up shooting, and for all the concerns people do have about the jumper, 88th percentile on jump shots, 79th on catch-and-shoot shots, 87th all jump shots off the dribble. I've painted a pretty clean picture in terms of what you can expect from this dude on a consistent basis offensively. It's not just the shot-making with him. You really have to dig into the film and watch the little things. Watch the decisions that he makes with the ball in his hands. Watch where he positions himself to receive the ball. Watch how and when he times going to the basket to 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 allow his his nose for the ball to really flourish and get those offensive rebounds and, and get those tough finishes through contact. Watch how aggressive he plays possession after possession. Watch how he operates on the defensive end where he rates out the 81st percentile in terms of total defense. I understand that those defensive metrics on synergy can sometimes be flawed because it's a team sport in in that aspect most at the end of the day, but he's a big reason why Kansas has been pretty good at times defensively. 
Um, not not just at times. They've been pretty good defensively all year long. That's why they're one of the best teams in the country. But he can guard multiple positions. He's aggressive. He gets after it. He loves to force turnovers. He just seems like such a safe role player to be able to project in the NBA. I understand some of the concerns, like Sam Vecini, one of the bigger things that he has with Brown is that he's essentially an all-transition player, and when he gets into the half court, if that jump shot's not falling, what is he doing at a high level? Well, my counter to that would be he can still finish around the basket, and when he does get the ball in his hands, he either he either shoots it or he immediately drives with it or he passes it out. You never see Christian Brown just standing around dribbling the air out of the ball wondering, what the hell do I do next? He's always making quick, snappy decisions. Those are the types of role players that NBA teams want in their systems. They don't want guys who are going to hold on to the ball unless they're some of the best players in the NBA. They want guys who know how to play the game at a high level, make quick, snappy decisions. So you put all that together. Again, we're not talking about a lottery pick. We're talking about probably end of the first round, early second round right now is, is where his range seems to be topping out at. And in that range, I'm going to take the 6'6 wing who knows what he's doing at all times on the basketball court, who doesn't make dumb mistakes, and who still gives you enough upside from a scoring perspective to chip in night after night as a starter in the NBA at worst, an eighth or ninth man who's still kicking ass night after night. I'm going to try to process all of my fun thoughts about Christian Braun into on, on one path, but it could get a little erratic. So I, I've talked with Metcalf before we did an episode talking about some of the big 12 prospects and we had a lengthy conversation about Braun. Um, if no one's listened to that, that was a good one. We did a deep dive on him, but yeah, me and Nathan have been on this train pretty pretty long, and I feel like we've been the conductors of it. Um, we're trying to get as many people to buy tickets and get on board as we can. I, I think you're spot on with everything, Nathan. I think this is a guy that is going to be a highway robbery in the draft. Wherever he ends up, I think he's going to be a role player in the NBA for an extremely long time. You, you can't watch him and just be fascinated with like statistics and you know, he needs to score 25 because of his role. And it's like, no, he just is going to make some team better. He's going to be almost like a glue guy. He's going to. That's exactly understand. what he is. Yes. Glue guy. There you go. He, he, he understands his role. He's incredibly smart. He always is moving. Even with the ball, like away from him, he is a dangerous off the ball mover. He can cut. He finds lapses in the defense. I think he's a much better three-point shooter than it suggests. Like, he was a good shooter in college. He's taken a humongous leap when it comes to attacking now off the dribble because everyone knows he can shoot. They're cheating up. So now he's taking people off the dribble. He's got good size. Um, like you hinted at, he, he can get up. Like, he can dunk on people if you don't respect Oh, he him. loves to poster yes. people if he, if he gets the opportunity. He, he loves it. And, and I just, he also, if his shot's not falling, I think he understands like he can make an impact in a number of ways. Um, I'm just quickly looking at his game log. He's had three games this year where he didn't finish in double digits. And one of those games, he had eight, six, five, and five blocks. So I'm just saying like, I think this guy's a competitor. Um, I hit it on this on the big 12 
um, podcast episode, but, you know, Ochai Abaji was once interviewed for the athletic, a, a really good piece. I think it was by CJ Moore and Abaji or no, it was a different one, but Abaji said in a different article, he said, um, you know, Christian's one of the nicest teammates I've ever had in my life. But when that dude gets on the court, he is an asshole. Like he will let you know it. He is so damn competitive and, and he has the game to back it up. So I just think this guy's going to understand I belong. I don't care that I'm going to the NBA. Like I have the game and understand how to play this, this system, this, this way where I can make my teammates better. Um, he's fantastic also when he drives finding shooters like finding wide open teammates. And I think he just does too many little things on the court where he's going to find a way to stick and he's going to be a really nice rotation piece. It wouldn't start me or wouldn't shock me if he ends up being a starter down the road. It also wouldn't shock me if he's on a playoff team and it is winning a series or winning a game in a series just because of what Christian Brown does in, in that game. I, I really do think this is a guy that's going to stick and, you know, he probably, We'll end up going in the second round, but I think whatever fan base gets that heck of a heck of an asset. I am I am still pissed that I missed the game of his life against St. John's. Yeah, I, I had the tickets. I had the tickets. I got stuck on a meeting, a presentation at, at work, and I couldn't leave my house when I wanted to. And New York traffic absolutely blitzed the hell out of me. I couldn't get to the game, and. God, may, may, maybe it's a blessing in disguise. Because, you know, like, when we show up to a game as scouts, even though, like, we're in the media space, right? Like, we're allowed to have opinions. We're allowed to, to root for guys. We have our own platform. We can do whatever the hell we want, right? We're, we're not we're not hired by a company or a team. But we should still kind of, when we're there in the stands watching a game, we still need to be respectful to the job that we're trying to do. We need to remain as unbiased as, as possible, you're locked in. I get yes, absolutely. The, I usually say two words the whole entire game. The amount of times I probably would have been pumping my fist and or just standing up yelling, "The Christian Brown agenda is thriving." Like may, maybe it's a blessing in disguise that, that I didn't get to that game because I would, I, I I would have loved to see that that performance in person. But if yeah, you that, watched that live, you would have a hundred percent probably been waking up in the middle. My of Twitter would have broke. My Twitter would have absolutely <laughs> broke. I would have just been live tweeting the whole time. Maybe I wouldn't have even paid attention to half the game. I would have just been like, guys, did you just see what Christian Brown did? And they would be like, Nate, he did that, he did that like 10 plays ago. Like, what's he doing now? And it's like, I don't know. That live experience would have had you having him like top 20, a hundred percent. Cause you're oh, like, yeah. oh, he was awesome in person. I can't have him out of the top 20. What are you talking about? I think Wasserman still has him really high. I think Wasserman had him inside the, the, the top Wasserman. 20 when I, when I had him on the podcast. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. I know I'm having good people on the podcast. We're talking about Christian Brown, like that. The, this is what life's all about. I, I, he's just, I could see him going late first and a playoff team just laughs and says, yeah, yeah Golden we'll take State. Him. Yeah, yeah, Golden, Golden State, State, of course. This is a Golden State pick. But um, I, I just am humongous fan of his game. I, I think he does the stuff scouts are going to be in love with that don't show up in the box score. He makes his team better. He makes those extra passes. You know, you know where he really fits? He fits for the team related to the sweatshirt I'm wearing tonight, my little Memphis Grizzlies sweatshirt I have on tonight. He'd be yeah. perfect in Memphis. Yeah, like, he would be the dream fit. He would never he is, leave that town, city. Ever. He's the he next was. asshole to, to suit up for that team. Like Dylan Brooks would be like, this is my kind of guy. Like yes. those two would just bond immediately. Yeah, if they had Desmond Bain and Christian Brown as rotation pieces that could interchange, that, that would be pretty fun depth. That, they would uh, 
they play like a month and then they would give Brown like the first ever rookie extension for like 10 years. So I hated every single pick that I mocked to them in our mock draft. I'm like, we're really just going to keep making this team that much better. It's like, no matter what they do, it's like, yeah, screw it. Why not? And they're going to trade all of them some way. And we're going to be like, come on, keep building it. Um, Yeah. I, I, we could keep talking for 10 minutes about him, but or 10 hours. So let's try to, Let's try to keep it moving tonight. I love it. Well, I I just I I really do think that's a sleeper. I think that's the guy that's going to be an absolute steal. I've been so impressed. No, no, he's not the sleeper on this episode. I got the sleeper. Okay. Oh, you got the next. Is it next? Is this the final sleeper? Okay, hit me with it. Alondez Williams is the sleeper. Yes. So I need to have some Alondez Williams talk. So I'm glad that I brought you on the show. I came to the right guy because people are buzzing about Alonzo. Is it, He's is becoming it more, a draft is it more concerns from your end? Is it questions you have? Like where, where I, I know this is supposed to be where I talk about my guys, but I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts where, where you're at on him. Cause I, no, I agree. I, he doesn't, he doesn't get enough love. I'm not, um, I'm not nervous or scared by him. I, I need to watch way more. I've been very, very intrigued with what I've seen. I'm just still trying to, like once I take my deep dive, once I get around on him, um, that's going to be easier to project his range. But he does seem like his range has been pretty crazy. Like there's some people in love. I've seen people say first round. I'm like, whoa. And then I've also seen people say late second round. So it seems like you're either going to be all in or, or sort of out on him. But, you know, I also go to bat for upperclassmen. So I'm automatically intrigued by a guy that's just having a humongous year right now. So talk to me about Alondis. Why is he your guy? What makes him so intriguing? I know a lot of people are obsessed with the playmaking and from the brief amount of game tape I've watched on him, um, I was very, very uh, looking forward to diving deep into that because he makes some passes that really make you hold your breath. He's, He's just an exciting player to watch, man. Night in and night out, he's the ACC Player of the Year for a reason. This dude put that Wake Forest team on his back. I know Jake LaRavia is another hot prospect mm-hmm. in, in draft circles who will definitely get some attention as we get closer to the draft. But this is the guy. Alondez Williams is the guy. 19.3 points per game, 6.6 rebounds, 5.3 assists to what you said, 52% from the field, 24.9 PER. I get some of the concerns that people have when it comes to the playmaking, because as much as he can wow you, he will also make some passes that just make you go WTF. Like, right, like right, what was right. that? They, they will leave you scratching your head. However, I've brought this name up before. You and I have, I think we've actually talked about this a little bit. And if it wasn't with you, I think I brought it up to, to, to Maxwell Bomboards when I had him on the Draft Deeper podcast. There's there's some Io Desunmu potential impact here with, okay. with Alondez Williams. And what I mean by that is all of the people who didn't have Io Desunmu as a surefire first rounder last year, myself included, why were there those questions? It wasn't about the talent. It wasn't about the athleticism. It was about what position did he play? And if he's a point guard, how much volume can he handle as an NBA team starting point guard? How much of the offense do you want to flow through IO? Or would you rather him sort of come into the game off the bench, be more comfortable off the ball, and then when he gets those reps as a secondary creator, 
he's generally coming off a screen or off an action and he's making like one to two quick reads and he's able to make a decision from there and he can pass the ball, get it out, or he can go to that pull-up shot, which he's gotten a lot better at making, especially now since he's been with Chicago Bulls. Put put Io DeSumo in spots where you can let Io be Io. And I think there's a lot of that similar appeal with somebody like Alondez Williams. If you if you give him a little too much offensive responsibility, I can see where it can come off the rails a little bit and get a little wild. But if you put him in situations where he doesn't have to make too many reads, if you can kind of have him playing within structure and have him play to his strengths, which is getting downhill, attacking the basket, getting that little mid-range pull-up that he likes to go to, and then open catch-and-shoot threes, I still think is something that he has in his bag. I, I, I don't know about how much he's going to be creating off the dribble from three-point range, but I think open spot-up threes are absolutely something that he has in his bag. Just putting him in positions where maybe it's not quite as high of usage as it was in college, but a little uh, adding a little more structure to his offensive diet, I think will go a long way. And in that sort of controlled chaos, like what we've seen from Io DeSumo, when they when Chicago give Billy Donovan credit when he's when he's put Io in in positions to succeed, Io's blown everyone's doors off, and he's probably been one of the ten or eleven best rookies in the NBA this year. And will he continue to be one of the 10 or 11 best players in his draft class? I don't know the answer to that question. I'd probably err on the side of no, just given how talented this rookie class is. But could I see Alondez Williams having a very similar impact in what's projected right now to be a weaker draft class in terms of depth? I could absolutely say that. I think his game, his game is much more tailor-made in the pros, 6'5", 200-pound guard, who wants the poster again, similar to Christian Ryan wants the poster for anybody he can, he can get up, he attacks it. He's aggressive. He can force steals. He, there's some question marks on the defensive end, but he can definitely hold his own guarding his man in the backcourt. There's just a lot to love about his game. And if this is the type of value guy, I can get a really good backup point guard with like an early second round pick maybe even a late first-round pick, depending on how he keeps rising as we get closer to the draft. I just think there's so much value to be had with, with a player like this. So that's why I'm in on Alonzo's Williams. There's definitely going to be some, you know, we've talked about this before. This point guard class is just a little insane. Um, there's a lot of question marks with guys that are probably going to be projected to go in the first round. And then you you find guys like Alondez and all of a sudden you, you start to think, okay, maybe this might be some intriguing value to get later that, you know, if there's so much hesitancy with the guys that are, you know, the consensus first round point guards, maybe you can all of a sudden take a little bit of a gamble with, you know, getting some, getting a steal with a guy like Alondez in the second round. Um, he's, he's been one of the hottest names in college basketball as of late. Um, transferred from Oklahoma. His last year at Oklahoma, he averaged 6.7 points and just about 18 minutes. And then all of a sudden he comes to Wake Forest. He's having a heck of a year. He's averaging 19.3 points, 6.6 rebounds, 5.3 assists, 51% from the field and and 30% from three. And, and, you know, like we've said before, Nathan, he really has just been buzzing. That's been a name that you're going to find a lot of people are, are really fond of. Some guys are extremely high on him, but you know, the good size you're talking about, the playmaking, 
Yeah, I, I know. I, I know. I talked about like the controlled offense. Yeah. Aspect. I do think he has starter upside as yeah. well because he has the positional size. Um, and obviously, if he's whipping passes all across the court, whether you might agree with 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 some of them, you might disagree with some of them. The fact that he has that ability, and also the fact that he operates really well off the ball too. Fifty fifth percentile scoring in transition, right? Ninetieth percentile on cuts. 96th percentile scoring off putbacks. Another guy who likes to go up on the offensive glass yeah, and, and, yep. and get the get the bucket. 83rd percentile working off handoffs. He can do things on the ball as well as off the ball. And again, if he's hitting that open spot up three, if he, even if he's at like a 33, 34% mark from three point range to the point where he's attracting that defense and making them close out on a shot, he can get around them so quickly. And then he can get into that mid range pull up where he can get all the way to the basket. So there's just, as much as I would love to paint him as like a sixth man off your bench or even like a seventh or an eighth guy within the rotation, there is spot starter slash starter upside to him as well. And that has to be factored in. No. And just like you're saying with IO, this happens in the draft. You you find gold, you you find way more value in the second round. If he even goes there that you thought, And, and I know we're probably expecting him to potentially be a second rounder, but crazier things happen on draft day. We've all seen it, you know, right. Josh Primo going so early, we were all basically about to faint. And um, and I still love Primo. So, you know, crazier things could happen. And Londis has definitely made that case. And like you're saying, he's got good size. The playmaking, when I watched him, the playmaking really jumped at me. But what you're saying, like he makes a couple passes where you're like, whoa, okay, where did that come from? And, it, and not in a good way. So that's when I was watching him. I was like, all right, I'm going to probably need an, uh, an evening to myself to prepare for this warfare. But um, you know, the production, you get to a point where you can't ignore it. And he's he's consistently put up some really big numbers throughout the year. Um, he's, he's, he's one of these guys that you, you're thinking he's going to keep creeping up the boards. And, and this could be a guy that with a strong tournament performance, maybe a good little pre-draft process, you know, he can keep creeping up and, and kind of almost become one of those sleeper point guards that goes a little later that, you know, goes to the right system, goes to the right team and, and has a good fit. And maybe he shows some signs early on in his NBA career where, you know, he sticks and it looks like they really got a heck of a piece. Um, by the way, by the way, guess what? There's a common theme here tonight. Another guy who can get to the line too. Yeah. Four, four games this year were 10 with 10 or more free throw attempts. We four love games. guys that get to the bucket. We love it. We live yes. at the free throw line, have yes. real estate there. So I love the prospects that you've uh, named that just, you know, free throws are supposed to be fun. You know, you're supposed to get rewarded for attacking the basket with, with, angry intentions so what you got anything else on alondes where would you put him right now or where do you have him give us a little sneak i've got him i've got him early second round i probably got him in like that 31 to 35 range but yeah like you said it would not shock me if he rises up and he even sneaks into the back end of that first round especially when you factor in i mean i've mentioned this a few times now i have out of my top 60 that i'm going to go through on the draft deeper podcast that episode will be coming out later this week out of those 60 guys that we're going to put together for composite boards, I count 17 who I think have legitimate cases to come back to school, even if they would go on, test the waters, take some feedback, and then ultimately decide to come back. That's that's like a third of that top 60 almost. So there's going to be plenty of room for guys to not only 
jump into the top 60 who we might not have thought would be there, but also room for guys to move into the back end of the first round or or up maybe even as far as like approaching that top 20, there's going to be room. And if you're asking me who who are some of the guys who deserve to make a jump like that, Alondez is definitely one of those guys. Absolutely loves game. I'm actually kind of glad you brought that up because I think that's an important storyline to kind of, almost give everyone a, a, a caution flag, like be prepared for it because, you know, of course we're excited for conference tournaments. Um, we're excited for selection Sunday. We're excited for March madness. And then we got to know the names, man. We, yeah. we got to know the names at some point. To do no, I'm, I'm just saying like, we're going to get to a point. The, with, the withdrawal deadline this year is going to probably require more attention than any other draft class. Because yeah. there is some serious, like Nathan's hinting at there, you go through your boards, you go through the prospect prospects you've been monitoring all year. You're going to run into a lot of guys where you're like, I could see them going back. You know, I could see them having another year. You know, we, uh, we talked previously on another episode, I think me and you are just about Blake Wesley and, and stuff. And it's like, Wesley, I think still has a case both ways. Um, there's going to be a lot of guys like that. Max Christie, another guy from Michigan state, I think this this whole entire pre-draft process where it comes to like the workouts and the combine is going to be unbelievable to monitor because there's a lot of guys on that fence and they're going to have feedback, you know, try to see what happens. Maybe some guys get some promises, which is, you know, promise season is always a horrifying development because it's either true or someone's lying through their teeth. So I'm like you, I really do think this year, is going to be really, really interesting to monitor like what type of guys could go back. Cause I think there's a lot of guys that have a case to potentially leap either way, you know, and if they go back, there's a lot of guys that could also skyrocket up boards next year with a really strong year, because there's a lot of potential as well. And we love, we love older guys too. We love yes. upperclassmen. We are not ages at, at those ceilings. So I, I don't care that Alondez is as old as he is. I don't care that he went the Juco route, then went to Oklahoma, and then had to transfer to another school to find the best home for him to showcase his talents. I don't care about any of that. The point is, he went through that process, likely learned a ton going through that process, matured through that process, and then he did find the right place for him to showcase all the talent that he has, which is quite a bit. So in my in my mind, I actually respect a player like that even more because I of that, that, he, that he's that he's fought the battles that he's been on the journey that he has. You and I shared similar thoughts about Marshawn Beauchamp about that's a, that's a part of his story. He's kind of had to find his way to what wasn't, wasn't a pretty path to, to the G league ignite, but he found his way there and now he's made the most of it. And guess what? He's probably, he's probably going to be like a top 20 pick. So we, we, we love stories like that. We love, we love people and I root for people more than anything. I wrote about that very passionately for no ceilings. When I talked about why I love scouting, why I want to be doing this, we root for stories. We root for people because guys who work as hard as Alondez does and who don't give up on their dreams, they deserve to have every opportunity to, to make the NBA and change their lives for the better. So I, 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 I would hope he gets drafted even higher than I'm projecting him to be. Yeah. I'm right there with you. You know, I, I always, I think it's funny when, when people look down at upperclassmen because they, they went back to school and continued to work on their game and they got better every year and it, they're more mature. They've learned a lot. They've un, understood how to work on their craft. 
not all guys need to be one and dones. You know, sometimes yep. the guys that are upperclassmen and older say it. can help say out. It, Rucker. Say no, it, Rucker. I'm, I'm just saying. Like, you, no, come you, on. Say your phrase. Come on. Just takes time. There just it is. There it is. Thank you. You had to um, Okay. Well, for an honor to Mr. Metcalf, I have to do what he does every time because he always oh catches God. me off guard with this. So, Nathan Grubel, the best thing you saw in basketball last week. Hit me with it. The I don't even have an answer. Thing- the, the best thing I saw in basketball last week. Every time I, I do this with him every week and he still catches me off guard. And so you think I would be better prepared with an answer, but now does it I'm have to be, Does it have to be draft related? No, 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 no. Anything. We usually talk about the NBA and stuff. My Philadelphia 76ers. How, how play, play the song Rucker. Yeah. Play, play the song. Everybody. Like, how, <laughs> how, 76ers. How about, how about James Harden, man? It's, it's are you it's on cloud nine? Joy to watch. We yeah. we do too much draft. We can vent a little bit about the Sixers. We I've been going quick. You know, I'm I'm a lot quicker and more efficient than Metcalf at this. We can talk about your Sixers for a little bit. Hit me I, with I, it. Are you on cloud nine? Are you in the honeymoon phase? Do you think it's just going to last and they're going to be raising a trophy and Joel Embiid's going to be having a parade? Where are you at right now? You know why I'm on cloud nine. It's not just because the 76ers have James Harden. It's the fact that James Harden has taken Tyrese Maxey under his wing. And Maxey, he was already good this year, right? He was already outperforming sophomore expectations this year. Now the dude has just exploded, right? And there's there, there's there's no putting it back at the bottle now. Like, this, this dude is here. Maxey is legitimately their third best player. I know Tobias is still on the team making all that money, but right now it's Maxi's spot as the third guy. And if Maxi's going to keep playing the way that he is, along with Harden, along with potentially the MVP of the league in Joel Embiid, why can't the 76ers win the championship this year? And I think if they do win it, Joel Embiid would probably get finals MVP or maybe even James Harden gets finals MVP. But they're going to win it because of Maxi, And the fact that Maxi's found so much comfort playing alongside James Harden and how Harden's empowered him as a leader and a mentor, which he should be because Harden's one of the greatest scorers this game's ever seen, that, that means a lot to me. And I think that dynamic is going to be something to watch the rest of the year through the playoffs. If they win it, they don't win it, whatever happens. I'm just so thankful that one of my favorite players to watch would be Tyrese Maxey. He's having such a great run with somebody like Harden next to him. And Maxey, Maxey's going to be the biggest regret I will ever have in the draft. I did not have that man top 10. I didn't even have him. I think I had him just outside the top 20. Oh, and wow. that is, that is any, I told you, I, I, I don't miss a lot. But when I miss, dude, I miss. Like, I miss really bad. And that one's going to haunt me for the rest of my life because I did not bet. I, who pride myself on working hard and rooting for people like we just talked about, I didn't bet on the guy who started the breakfast club in Kentucky. That's just going to haunt me for forever. Now that he's a 76er, it's like it's like two knives in my back instead of one. So that that's the best thing I've, I've been seeing over the last few weeks. <clears throat> I'm excited to keep watching them. You know, when they made that trade, I was worried that Maxi's growth was maybe going to get a little bit of a, a, you know, a pause. 
playing along Harden, alongside Harden, and he that team's just been absolutely sensational. They look like they're going to be a real force to deal with, especially if Harden keeps playing like he's playing and, and setting up Embiid. They're going to be they're going to be dangerous and uh, a bit of a force to to be dealt with. Uh, my the best thing I saw in basketball this week was Mr. Jason Tatum going to work oh against God, the Brooklyn Nets. You know. 50-piece wing dinner, yeah, yeah, we we got it. No, it, you know what it is, Nathan, that it – because Tatum's always been someone that's a little – just kind of – I've always had kind of a weird vibe with Tatum. Um, when, when he's doing what he's doing right now, he is a freak of nature. Um, and that's why I've always been like – just saying like go to the basket because he has playmaking potential and ability that is really special. And it seems like it comes out the most when he's aggressive attacking the basket because then he understands how to adapt to guys closing out on him. He makes great decisions when he when he's getting downhill and the defense collapses on him. And I think that's just a completely different type of animal when, when he's attacking the basket, trying to get to the line, trying to finish around the rim because that then opens up the outside shot. That opens up the mid-range. When he, when he – relies on the outside shot in the mid range, then it makes things a little bit more cloudy, but you know, Tatum's been absolutely sensational. Um, Boston's been great lately. I'm excited to keep watching that Eastern conference battle. And, you know, if they end up facing the Celtics and the Sixers in the playoffs, I might not be able to talk to you for a while. So, you know, you, you know why I think your team's been on a tear time. Lord. I, I think your team's been on a tear because they made a move at the deadline to swap out some pieces that didn't work to bring yep. in Derek White. Yep. It, but it wasn't just because they brought in Derek White. It was because they didn't trade Marcus Smart. And they didn't trade Jalen Brown. And I think it comes back to Coach Udoka getting a lot more comfortable, right? Yes. Being a head coach in general. But it also comes from the empowerment of Brad Stevens, probably looking his guys in the face saying, look, we're not breaking this up. Right. I believe in you guys. You guys are who's going to remain here, along with Robert Williams, along with Derek White, along with the other pieces that are in tow. Figure it out. Get the job done. And we're going to try to build the best team around you guys as we can because you're the leaders. You've been there before. You've been to the Eastern Conference Finals before. You can do it again. And I, I truly believe we – I don't know the answer, but I truly believe behind the scenes some sort of speech like that from Brad Stevens – probably took place Um, because that that's just the type of guy it's the type of leader that he is when he was when he was your head coach now president of basketball operations so that's that's really what I think and now that those guys are empowered you're seeing all of them play like it all of them are stepping up the way they need to and Tatum especially is on he, he looks like a top 10 player in the league which is that's kind of been his ceiling all along but when when you just when you have the belief in others like that it goes such a long way. And everybody wants to talk about basketball X's and O's. What's this guy's skill? How does he fit on the floor? The game's about more than that. The game is being played by people, not robots, by people. And that shit matters. So that's why I think your team's been on such a tear. And I've watched them. And you guys are scary. You guys are absolutely scary. Like, it would not shock me at all if the Eastern Conference Finals ends up being, like, Sixers, Celtics. And we don't even have the Bucks or the Heat in there, which is, it seems crazy to say, because before the year that probably would have been 
the conference finals that I would have picked outside of, you know, Brooklyn, but Brooklyn's been an absolute dumpster fire. And now that the 76ers ripped hard and away and you're going to try to figure everything out. It seems like it's Milwaukee, Miami, Boston, and Philly. And why can't Boston get to these conference finals? Why can't Boston get to the finals? They look, they look that scary and I hate it because I'm a 76ers fan, but it is what it is. You guys have a good thing going. And I think it's, it's great that those guys were empowered to stay where they are. I completely agree. And, and you bring up a great point about M.A. Udoka. I, I think it's it's rare for a rookie coach to have success. Um, and I think he just took a, to- a while to get his feet wet. And now that he's kind of gotten in a groove, they, they've figured out a rotation. Um, the team's thriving. The, th- the team's buying in defensively. They've been out outstanding. Um, it, it's I'm like you, the East is really going to be a bar fight. It almost feels like whoever's closing the end of the year with some momentum might be I can't able to wait. carry that. Yeah. It's gonna if be- those are the final four teams we actually have, I can't wait. It's it's going to be incredible. Um, yeah. Having draft coverage all day followed by watching the Eastern Conference playoffs is going to be pretty much the pe- the pinnacle of uh, – basketball intake for the whole year so oh, we're gonna talk we're gonna talk nba I oh make for sure, sure. That there's that there's nba talk just because we're draft podcast doesn't mean we can't you know shoot the shit about the nba that's where all these guys are going right oh. we gotta watch the nba game we have to understand what's going on and what's working in the nba to project these guys so i i cannot wait to to flip the switch to talk about the nba it, it has been way too damn long but um nathan Plug away, my friend. This was a great episode. Thank you for coming on and, and helping me out. You know, we like I joked before, we got Babe Ruth off the bench to, to help out with the you know, replacing swat. Metcalf. So plug away, sir. You, you've been fantastic, and you've been a grinder for the No Ceilings crew. So let everyone know where they can follow you and support you. It's Draft Deeper. It's at Draft Deeper on Twitter. You can listen to the Draft Deeper podcast wherever you get it, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you're reading. Although, it's funny. I, I was going to say, make sure you're reading my morning dunk column, although the morning dunk's kind of coming to a little bit of a close here for, for yeah. the season. It's, it's sad to say. I, I know. I'm going to I'm gonna have to write about other things. I'm going to have to not write 7,000 words a week. It's going to be it's gonna be different for me. I know. But make sure you're reading everything I'm doing and nosillingsnba.com as well as everything that Tyler is putting out, everything that Corey's putting out, Metcalf, Nick, the whole team. You and Corey did a great piece that that went up as we're recording this on on Tuesday about mirages in the draft. As much as I hated Corey picking apart my guy Blake Wesley again, he see this is what I'm talking about. You're like, no, we we don't pick on you too much about your thoughts about about guys, Nate. Yet Corey is always throwing the turn in the punch bowl about Blake Wesley. I didn't even know he was picking Wesley until like I started writing. I was like, oh god, oh, here we go. I knew it was coming. You <laughs> used the word mirage. I knew I knew it was coming. And I read it and I'm like, you know, Corey does a great job with his writing. He's always so creative. And it's not that I disagree with what he's saying because he does a good job with it, but damn it, I hate that it was about my guy. Well, I, I could have put Blake Wesley as one of my guys, but I've I've, I've talked about him a decent bit. Um <laughs> I keep telling you the battles are coming on podcasts. The, the, the gloves are going to come off with a lot of us. And, and I, I really do hope we can all remain friends. Yeah, if, if, if Corey's <laughs> listening and him and Albert decide to do the Blake Wesley episode of the draft deck, I better be the guest. That, yeah. That's all I'm saying. I'm coming in guns hot. You're going to, you're going to be going to battle there. Um, right. No, but thank you, Nathan, for coming on. Like I said, this was a blast. I can't wait to keep grinding with you throughout the entire draft process. Um, you know, for myself, Tyler Rucker, 
Um, you guys make sure you listen to No Ceilings podcast. It's everywhere. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're on Substack at www.noceilingsmba.com. We've got a very fun announcement coming tomorrow that you'll be hearing this uh, podcast tomorrow morning, and you should check out what the big news is. And, I think we're um, going to have content at like every hour of the morning tomorrow. It's, yes, it's tomorrow, fantastic. tomorrow. you know, I've warned people with Metcalf for the last couple of weeks that things were going to start getting really crazy. And, and this train is picking up dangerous speeds. Um, we're about to get going at, at ludicrous speed. Shout out space. Right. But um, also make sure you guys leave us a review and um, subscribe to YouTube. No ceilings TV. We're, we're all over the place. Draft Forever, season man. has begun, folks, and it's about to get lethal. So please support us, and um, you guys enjoy yourself this week. Metcalf will be back Thursday, taking care of you guys with a very good episode. I, I'm, I'm ready for it. Make sure you listen to part one of Nathan's Draft Deeper. That's where I talked about my guys. That's where we had some more fun. So thank you guys, as always, for listening and tuning in, and we will see you soon. Thanks, guys.